0: Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. The devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. It has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God. Serve only God. And then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple. And saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they'll bear you up so that you'll not dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus. Amen. Let me get this out kind of quickly today. Unless you are Jesus, <laughs> and you're not, unless you are Jesus, this uh, going it alone thing's not going to turn out very well for you. Pretty hard to miss when you come into worship today. I saw it for the first time when I came into worship at early service. We believe. We. We believe. It's the first line of the Nicene Creed, which we're going to use during the Lent and Easter seasons. Ironically, we're not using it today because we're doing healing prayers, which is another expression of something that we can't do for ourselves. Have someone else pray for me. We're accustomed to using the Apostolic Creed, which says, I believe. It's shorter. That's probably why we use it. But it was created not for use in public worship, but for baptismal use. Before you came to the water, you were asked to make a profession of faith. And since you're baptizing an individual, you would say, I, I believe, I believe, I believe. I will descend under this water. I will die. I will rise to new life. And that new life will be we. We, part of the, the body of Christ on earth. No longer I, but we. That's why we're going to use it for Lent and Easter starting next week. At any rate, here's where I want to go today and where I want to get straight to the message. Um, every year at the start of Lent, the church uses the same gospel reading. We, we use it from different accounts, different gospel writers, but it's the same story. Jesus tempted in the desert. And I hope that you will note since we hear it every single year and all of the gospel writers use the same word. It says, when the devil addresses Jesus, you. And that is a singular word. If you are the Son of God, if you will worship me, then it will be yours. If you will throw yourself down from here, then I will give you everything. And here's the great Lenten irony. Jesus went by himself into the wilderness to be tempted. Got it. But you're not Jesus, and I'm not Jesus. And I need community, and I need others in the wilderness when I'm being tempted. And that's what's so odd that we have turned Lent and, frankly, all of faith in Western culture into some kind of private matter, as if it's a personal journey through the desert, as if I can actually know and believe and do everything that I should It is no wonder that Lent has been watered down to the point that it has become synonymous in our culture with giving something up personally. As if the point of Lent would be to spiritually self-discipline ourselves as if we could actually do that. It's not the point of Lent. Here's the thing about going out into the desert to find God. Sounds really good. I sit in the doctor's office I clips to the back of the magazines, they're generally health magazines and in the back there's a lot of great commercials and almost every one of them has a commercial for some spa out in a desert somewhere where you can go out and get healthy and find yourself and find God. What a great idea. Sounds great, romantic. Some kind of spiritual God spa, the desert. Oh, but the desert <laughs> the desert is not a spa. The desert is a good place to, to die. Um, historian Belden Lane said of the early church fathers that if you went out into the desert in the first century, you were much more likely to come back feet first than you were to find God. Here's a desert father teaching story. Desert fathers, by the way, is one of those like seminary terms. First and second century Christians, knowing that Jesus was coming back at any moment and knowing how the world was going to hell in a handbasket... They just sold everything went out into the wilderness just waited for jesus out there and that didn't always turn out very well and those were hermits and when hermits did then it became communities and the church is indebted to those church fathers it's where much of monasticism comes from the qumran scrolls our oldest pieces of scripture came from those kinds of communities at any rate here's a story from the ancient desert fathers in the first century a brother trying to follow jesus um, waiting for the coming of christ and he personally is struggling with anger and he's frustrated by others and living in community. And so he says to himself, I'm going to go to the desert by myself. And since I won't have to talk to others or listen to others, all of the anger within me will just cease. Mm, shalom. And it'll just be me and Jesus until he comes back. And so he goes and he lives alone in a, in a cave. And one day, climbs down out of the cave with his water jug and he goes out to the oasis, fills it up, climbs back up. When he gets up to the cave, he knocks the water jug over. He climbs back down a second time, does the whole thing, gets back up, knocks it over again. Does it the third time. And the third time when he knocks it over, in a fit of rage, he grabs the jug, his only jug, smashes it to the ground in a fit of rage and it breaks into pieces. And here's the moral, according to the Desert Fathers. Returning to his right mind... He knew that the devil had beaten him and he said, here I am myself and myself is not enough. I must return to the community because I can't live alone with God. Friend Jennifer Ginn, pastor in Salisbury, North Carolina, told this unusual story, I thought, until I thought more about it, um, Christmas Day family gathering all of her family uh christmas dinner all the gifts are unwrapped wrapping paper everywhere you know the story it's just a picture of norman rockwell happiness and sitting at that dinner table her elderly mother-in-law in her late 90s just randomly who didn't say much randomly says just starts telling a story she said when i was little and all the kids stopped to hear what grandma has to say she says when i was little my mama took sister lila and me to school to the Christmas party." And there was this big sparkling Christmas tree and presents underneath the tree. But when Santa handed out the gifts, there weren't any for us. And on the way home, Leela and I cried. And Mama said, Santa needs money to buy gifts. And I didn't have any money to give him. And you're never going back to school again. <laughs> One of those thud kind of moments. And Pastor Ginn said, why would you tell a story like that? And it dawned on her that in the midst of such blessing, that somehow it was important to tell the whole story, the story of being a child to a widowed mama who did everything in her power and beyond, and it still wasn't enough, who didn't finish school, didn't have everything she needed, much less everything she wanted, and yet sat there on Christmas Day blessed beyond measure. It it was as if, surrounded by such unearned joy that her mother-in-law needed, needed to speak the story to others so that they would hear the story of God's extravagant grace and God's radical, relentless compassion. I think the church tells stories on the first Sunday of Lent for a reason. I think they tell them to remind us that what I believe is actually a very slippery slope and what we believe, we believe is life-giving. Our first reading, which Billy read, is this: the story that brought the Hebrew lives into balance. The story goes something like this. Our father was a wandering Aramean. There's another way of saying our father was nothing. And our father was sold into slavery in Egypt, and we lived there like aliens, few in number. And God, God, God redeemed us. God saved us. God rescued us, and we... Became a nation. Now, it was the heart of the Passover story. It's a confession of faith. It's a community story. I would call it a creed. Moses tells him, you tell this story. You tell this story. And you tell this story again and again. You never forget this story. You did nothing. God did everything. Your father is a wandering Aramean. And we are because of what God does. In the second reading, Paul... Does pretty much the same thing with the believers who are in Rome. He says the word of faith is near you. He says it's on your lips. It's It's in your hearts. You confess it with your lips. You believe it in your hearts. By the way, every time he uses the word you there, it's not singular. It's plural. And if you want to wonder why do we use creeds, let me tell you that this is the reason right here. Creeds weren't written at this point, but this community is the one who writes these creeds. It's the opposite of saving yourself by practicing the law. It's the opposite of doing or not doing something. We just confess with our lips and believe in our hearts the story of Jesus, what God has done for us, the redemption of Christ. And then the gospel reading today. Uh, Jesus is out in the wilderness. The devil's hitting him with his best shot. Now never mind that um, this is just like chapters after Luke has come out. Um, it tells us that Jesus has come out of the River Jordan. He's still wet, and he sends him out into the desert. When he's in the River Jordan, he hears the most amazing affirmation possible. The skies open up. You are my beloved. You are the chosen. Never mind how many people have told you how wonderful and how loved you are. The devil knows that it is easy for you to forget who you are and to forget the stories and get caught up in yourself and think that you can somehow do this yourself. It is tempting to think we can do it on our own. And all Jesus does out there in the desert is just tell the story, just recite the creed. It is written, he says, it is written, it is said. My hunch is everything Jesus recited out there in you probably learned as a child. It is written. Someone told him the story. Someone read him the story. Someone put those scrolls in front of him to read it. Mom and Dad, if you want to know why life passages and confirmation in one body are so very important, it's so that when your child is alone someday and culled from the herd and taking the devil's best shots, they'll remember that they can't do this alone, that they need a community And they need a specific kind of a community. They need a community of Christ where they can experience grace, comfort, and acceptance through the community. You don't do faith alone. It's a recipe for disaster to do so. We need each other. We need each other to tell the story. We need each other so that we can hear the story. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for not going it alone today. Thank you for loving one another, praying for one another, worshiping with one another, caring for one another. Thank you for revering the story enough that you want to gather around it and confess it with your lips and believe it in your hearts. I kind of got sucked into the Pinterest world. I'm not going to stay there long. I want to be sure of that. (laughs) Well, what what do people do for Lent? What, what, what What do you do for Lent? Here is what has surprised me to no end. All this advice, give up this, give up that. Not one person said, go to church. Not one person. Gather with others for worship for service, for discussion, for care, for prayer. It is a wilderness out there. We all live out on the edge of it, and, and, and the journey can be very disorienting, and we, and we all grow weary, and we all grow worn, and yes, the devil continues to watch for an opportune moment. But, but this is why we gather, and this is why praying for one another just it makes sense. The word is indeed near to us, on our lips and in our hearts. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. And God loves you no more or no less based on how much you have or don't have, how many struggles you're carrying, how many burdens you're living through right now. All who call upon the name of the Lord are be saved. That's, that's That's a story we need to hear. There have been more than a few times in my life that I have needed to hear that story there have been more than a few times I needed someone to tell me what it is that we believe there have been more than a few times when I needed someone to pray for me and I don't think I'm alone in that and that is why we come here instead of going out to the desert by ourselves amen